how much do these stands cost? So if we spend like a little bit more money, get better stands. I think we should put in. We should just put in that tiny bit more money. All right, <clears throat> startup budget. All right. Oh my god, that took so long. Technical difficulties. I mean, I didn't. Sorta. I did not really help. I mostly just hated on you while you were trying to fix the mic. Yeah, stand. we have these mic stands that, when paired with these Sure mics, they are not heavy enough. The base of the mic stand isn't heavy enough, so they tip over. So yeah, there, there's some lightweight physics involved right now. There's no calculation involved. It's just trial and error. I am not smart enough. Can we not talk about this? Yeah, no, it's fine. I have a bunch of follow-up. The first thing is that we didn't mention, but we are using this tool called Forecast, which is produced by the same people who made the podcast app Overcast. And what we're doing with that tool is we are adding our illustrations to chapter markings. And I think you can only see it in Overcast, but if you are an Overcast user, Highly recommended. you like that experience. I think it's a little bit... Extra bonus. So if you don't use Overcast, from your perspective, Sharice, why should someone switch over from the regular podcast app? See, it's difficult for me to answer that question, though, because I have never used another podcast app. So I have like no point of I've comparison. I've tried using the Apple podcast app and just didn't like it. Like I just felt like the organization and the structure, it looks better. Yeah, I think I, Overcast does look better. No, no, no. I actually thought the Apple. Oh, one oh, you think better. Apple? Oh, I think the Overcast looks better, but, but maybe I'm just brainwashed. The reason why I didn't like the Apple one is just like you couldn't even format stuff. I mean, uh, it's kind of weird because at the end of the day, the majority of people are on Apple Podcast apps. Well, one big thing is that Overcast has smart silences, and I can't believe we're talking about this again. But you can speed listen yeah. at um, smaller rates, like it's more fine tuned. Yeah. Than the Apple one. Oh, yeah. but also shout out to Nick H who recommended the forecast tool and is why I adopted it. Can I say a little aside? Mm-hmm. I actually told you about this a while ago on WhatsApp. You know, you... But that's okay. Nick, Nick deserves all the credit because it's about influence. <sighs> okay. I admit, you did tell me about this before, but... I'm glad Nick pushed you. Eugene messages me like me... I'm not going to count, but hundreds of times. I don't have the ability to keep up with your reading pace. It's just That's the way fine. things are. To be honest, it's also my fault. No, wait. Should I be apologizing for this? You should not be apologizing. Because I'm not apologizing. Not, it only works on OS. Yes, this is true. So That's why I could never, I was never yes. able to work with it. Yes, but you know, the thing, I can't believe this has become a discussion, but you did not pitch it to me as being able to add like the images, which was one of the big reasons why I wanted to try it. I'm going to preface everything with, Sharice, can you research this for me? Okay, done. Okay. All right. Moving on. I have more follow-up things. So you know how I called you out on IG stories about your Chloe Kim illustration? Um, Yes. Scott. M responded to me and he said he likened us to LeBron and Udonis Haslam. So who's Udonis Haslam? He is a, oh, let me check. Is he an NBA basketball player? I mean, yes, I know that. I was going to check on his position. Yes, he is. Who plays for the Cavs? For the Heat. Oh. Yeah. And he's a power forward for the Heat. And he was there during the same time that, oh, actually Haslam is one of the longest franchise players in that he has played for the same team for like in the history of the league, one of record oh, long yeah. times. Anyway, so Haslam he's is loyal. a power forward. Yeah, he's loyal. But I actually think 
we're going to talk about basketball so much today. We're going to talk about sports a lot. I was researching this metaphor so that I could tell you it on air. And I think Haslam and Wade is a better metaphor. Anyway, it's about like their dynamic on court and one supports the other. And it's funny. Who, who supports who in this You capacity? know, it's funny because, well, Scott was talking to me. So I, I appreciate the flattery and he said, I'm the king in this one, as in <laughs> LeBron, which I don't think is true. I, I definitely, you are the LeBron James, Dwayne Wade figure, and I would no, be the Haslam figure. I would say I'm probably the guy, does he, does he, does he rebound well? It's like, I could be the guy that pulls down the defensive board and then dishes it to you, and then you go score. No, I don't think that, but I don't think that's my role. I think no, it's the it other is, way around. It is in the illustration because I basically started off. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I started off and then right. I pass it off and you get the glory. You know, you're right. Illustration wise, I'll take it. Sorry, Eugene. But it overall dynamic. The, I'm okay with I that. Would I don't argue I don't, it I'm, the I'll other be way. this guy. What's his name? Haslam. I'll be Haslam. Udonis Haslam. My topic this week is a little bit different. I, I couldn't really decide between these two articles and they're both really strong. They're both strong, but they're also very similar. Mm -hmm. Superficially, they look very different because they they just talk about different things. But when it comes to the underlying foundation and the commentary, I guess I want to lend to it, they're quite similar. Yeah, I agree. So the first article is by The Atlantic. It discusses Drake's latest music video, God's Plan. So what I'll do is I'll break each article down individually first and then join them back up afterwards. Okay, so video for God's Plan. God's Plan is this new hit song by Drake. And in the video, what happened? The video itself features Drake kind of running around Miami and handing out everything from toys, groceries, and cars to cold hard cash to the less fortunate. He and also signs checks. Yes, yeah, signs checks. And along the way, there's a video crew documenting um, all of these acts of kindness, as well as just the reactions, right? Yeah, just yeah. people's genuine humanistic reactions to getting, you know, a chunk of cash. Yeah. Or, or just groceries. seeing Drake. Yeah. Cause like Drake, at one point he's like dancing with high schoolers and obviously they're like really hyped to be part of the video. I barely remember what the song sounds like actually. It sounds like every other Drake song. He looked at me like I'm going to get some flack for that. No, comment. no, no, no. I didn't. I, I just didn't know if I should chime in. And agree with you. Anyways, or not. I'm, I'm. But the we're least not here. We're not here. We're not here to talk about the music. song. Yes. So it's fine. Very musically declined. Is that a is that a way of saying it? Anyways, whatever. Let's not talk about Eugene and music in that capacity. It has 85 million views. Now it does. I remember yes. when I watched it. It was like about 30 million. So that's that's one case, mm -hmm, right? It's mm -hmm. about combining entertainment and humanitarianism. What's the word? Humantainment. Yeah, it's an existing genre, as they suggest it. Like celebrities who are filmed doing charity nice things, work. Yeah. So there's that capacity. Mm -hmm. And then on the other hand, there is an article by the New York Times that's quite lengthy that goes into basically... Uh, an intersection of sports and, and journalism because yeah. it focuses on the Players' Tribune, which is, um, I mean, in, in some ways is a relatively new media company. It's been around since it's less than five years, mm -hmm. you know, started by Derek Jeter. Yep. And the whole premise behind it is... Derek Jeter of Yankees the, baseball yeah, right. fame. Yes. One of the greatest Yankees of all time. Yes. I'll co-sign that. I don't even care about baseball, but... <laughs> 
<laughs> Everyone just knows him as being the guy that's very professional and dates celebrities. Actually, relevant to the Players' Tribune is that Jeter is famous for not doing press and not wanting to comment to media publicly, like during his career. Yes. The premise behind the Players' Tribune, which unless you're a rabid sports fan, you probably would have no reason to ever go there. Yeah, I don't think anyone will visit the site organically. And I think they know that. Like their model is kind of looking for pieces that will eventually become viral and enter popular media. Yeah, like for example, Kobe Bryant, when he retired, he dropped a letter there. Yeah, yeah. Wait, sorry, we totally did not... We still have not said the premise of the Players' Tribune. Yes, we haven't. So the Players' Tribune piece is really talking about, is it really journalism if there's a oh, one No, no, no. We there. haven't even explained what the Players' Tribune is. Jeter oh, yeah. started the Players' Tribune as a media company to give the narrative back to athletes. And the idea is that athletes, instead of, you know, always having a mic in their face and talking to ESPN, whoever get to write their own stories, get to tell it from Relatively their side. Relatively speaking, yeah. Relatively speaking, there are editors. Like but they're paired with editors. The idea is that there's a controversial trade deal and, you know, popular media paints it one way. Like the idea is that if there's something like a controversial trade deal or any kind of borderline scandal involving an athlete, the Players' Tribune is an opportunity for the athlete to kind of clear his name or like set the record straight in a way like that's what Jeter wants. I think like that's the intention. There is a discussion that's revolving around. Is it journalism when it's very one-sided? They're basically like scripted press releases in a way. It's a little bit different. It, it masks itself as a narrative or a story, but I mean, there's a, there's arguably like an ulterior motive behind it, right? To tell the story in the best light possible, which sometimes doesn't allow the true authenticity of it to come out. So the lack of authenticity as well as Drake's video where it's basically fabricating these moments of goodwill. That's sort of what I was trying to figure out. It's like in this day and age, I think everyone wants to think that they champion authenticity because I think it's a representation of themselves. If you consume things that are authentic, then it's a reflection of you yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But my, my argument is that the things that are, I guess, popular these days, if you really dig deep, there's a lack of authenticity that really exists there. So, but I also understand that these two stories, these two story angles, are they providing something of value and benefit? 100%. My personal sort of philosophy or concern is like, is the new normalization basically us defaulting to, oh, it's it's better than nothing. Like, I feel like that's my ongoing sort of narrative. It's like, well, you know what? It's better Drake does this than does not do it. Albeit, there's probably better ways of spending that money than giving individuals some of okay, these. So I think I want to dig a little bit deeper into each topic and because we've kind of given an overview of God's plan and some questions that it raises and the Players' Tribune and questions that that raises. Speaking more specifically about the Players' Tribune, it's... Interesting because, no, I don't think you can call it journalism. I do find it valuable. I don't think it's just like, oh, better than nothing. I think it brings another facet to what we can read about sports. For example, the Isaiah Thomas Kyrie deal just was very widely talked about in the sports world. The Cavs traded Kyrie for Isaiah Thomas from the Celtics. And Isaiah Thomas is like a longtime loyal Celtics player. And he was hurt by this deal. Like he was personally hurt. And so he writes this essay about how that deal made him feel, 
right? And I think that's valid. Like, I think his points are valid. I don't think it's inauthentic. I just don't think it is the full the, story. Yeah. So as long as we're in agreement, it's not really journalism. I, I'm, in, I'm in agreement that is not journalism. It's, it's just, like a memoir. Yeah. You know, it's like a mini memoir. And I think it's interesting to see the player's point of view. But I also am going to go out to say like, even though Isaiah Thomas is at the center of his own deal, he doesn't have all the facts, right? He's not either team's GM. He's not the, you know, the coach. Like there are a lot of other factors in play besides his personal feelings, right? So I think it just brings another level of possible understanding. Yeah. The the way that I've looked at these, part of me was, you know, a rabid consumer of the Players' Tribune earlier on. Now it's kind of fallen off. Like, I guess for me, they all seem very similar in terms of... The New York Times piece mentions that as well. Yeah, it's all very similar, very cookie cutter. And that's, to me, why it's disinteresting. Because... I know that the best parts, well, not necessarily the best parts, the parts that they want people to know about them are being presented. And that's fine if you're a sports fan, you're going to hang on to every word of a Kyrie Irving or like Isaiah Thomas, right? But I don't see there's any sort of advancement there beyond just sort of a very superficial bond created with a fan. Yeah, I don't think it advances sports culture. I think the issue with a lot of the players tribune pieces are that they try too much for this emotional moment they try too much for you empathizing with the player and almost putting the administration in a bad light or like it's almost saying administration and the media are the bad guys like they've got the story wrong and like we athletes we are on you know, the good and correct side. I think it's too much of that. I think what I would be interested in seeing more of is hearing from players, hearing from athletes about their kind of access that reporters don't usually get. You know, like let's hear about the moments during a season that reporters don't cover or they typically won't have a mic in your face at that moment, right? Like those are things that we won't know otherwise. If the Players' Tribune type movement gains steam, and I actually came across this very similar site, that looked and felt the same as a player tribune, but it was for Australian athletes. What happens if you soon remove sports journalism from the picture? Or is that totally fine? Because the thing is like, if if you- I cannot imagine not having sports journalism. It's going to be a bifurcation where athletes never talk to the press. The press basically has to fill in the bits. That's not that it's not journalism, but it's also really only half the story. I really respect and admire- sports journalists because there's so much research and homework that goes into doing their job properly. You know, I'm not saying like numbers is everything, but that's often part of the context, right? Is how does this individual player fit into the wider context of the game, of the season, of these last five years, right? And that's something athletes as, and I don't expect them of that. I don't expect this of them, but an individual athlete is probably not thinking about that. Like that's not their job. Like they're not thinking about where do I fit in the context of a wider league story history. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I look at the whole situation. I think the fact that Kobe Bryant decided to announce his retirement, not by a traditional outlet and instead going to the Players' Tribune, I think that shows immense power. I think it's concerning, you know, going back to authenticity. It's interesting because it's authentic in terms of this is coming direct from the person involved, but it's, it's not, the word is not inauthentic, but there is an element lacking because with 
journalist, you have to deal with questions that you don't want to answer that maybe you haven't even to be honest, to that point, it's like there's a level of introspection that you're forced to engage in that you don't when you're just yourself, unless you're naturally a very introspective person. But even then, you can only turn over so many rocks. Yeah. Like when I was uh, doing that interview with Jay Park a few months ago, I was just kind of curious. I'm like, well, what's your what's your value in being interviewed? Right. And maybe this is kind of me answering my previous question. I mean, that's assuming an athlete recognizes this, but he was saying that the ability for me to speak to a magazine, a newspaper, whatever, they're going to ask me difficult questions or questions that I may not have been thinking about. But also sometimes when I tell that story of what it was like to grow up in Seattle, like unless it's properly framed, it just seems out of left field. Mm. But if you pull it out from an editorial perspective, the the whole sort of context changes. If someone decides to interview someone, an athlete about their favorite foods because they're a food magazine, suddenly that doesn't seem off base. So I think that is probably the most critical thing that comes from this all. And maybe that is sort of a repositioning of where sports media stands. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like sports media used to be, it used to be performance-based. It used to be like scores, whatnot. And it also had lifestyle to it. Maybe they can no longer have any claim to lifestyle because lifestyle will go somewhere else, aka the Players Tribune. It's possible. It's on the same thread of you thinking about the J Park interview yesterday when we were talking to Alex, I felt like, you know, that's Alex is not here right Alex, now, yeah. but we were talking to him about his exhibition and you could see him working through how to talk about the selection of his work, right? And that's the value of having someone ask you questions about a thing beyond you writing it down yourself. We've talked a lot about the Players' Tribune. Yeah, let's move How to... How does this, you know, interplay with Drake's God's Plan video? And first off, before we get into that, like, did you like the video? I think it's kind of schmaltzy. Can you, you know define schmaltzy? Schmaltzy is like, it's like that sugary feeling you get from watching things that are really sentimental or reading things that are really sentimental. Yeah. And it's playing on similar to Players Tribune. This is one of the connections. It's playing on what they expect an audience reaction to be. They are just targeting that awe feeling like, oh, like... I'm so moved by this. Like that's what it's going for. And yeah. it's not like, it's it's hard for me to be critical of that because I know I sound like such a cynic saying that, but that that's what it is to me. Like, do you think it's fair for us from the outside looking into this to be like, that's a, a misuse of money? No, I don't think so. Like I you mean, wouldn't, you couldn't argue and be like, hey, instead of gifting this person a car, how about you do something that's undeniably less exciting with less virality built in and you go and you, I don't know, support an after school program. One thing that I was concerned about, so I read the article first before actually watching the video. And one thing that I was concerned about, because if it was all like hard cash and cars, I think that would not have played so well. But there are actually a lot of moments that show Drake signing like checks of tens of thousands of dollars to organizations, not just individuals, but to existing institutions or schools in Miami. And that's a big difference, right? Like that's not just, I'm not just picking a person that looks like they're hard on their luck and giving them, you know, $10,000, but I have 
well, maybe not Drake personally, but someone has researched in what ways can we actually support this yeah. community. So that makes a big difference. So why do you think there was the need to just like buy someone a car or give someone a brick of cash? I mean, there is part of it that's, that's about it being a good music video. Yeah. And do you think there's a little bit for everybody in this, which I think is what they tried to achieve? It's like, like, I don't, I, I struggle with this because part of me feels like, oh, what is the need of this video? Can Drake not just do good things with his money behind the scenes anonymously yeah. and not have people know? Like, what is the, like, is the point of the music video to say, Drake, you're such a good guy? Like, you yeah. are doing great things because that seems very selfish. I mean, I think part of it is to inspire other people to do it. This is the big net positive argument I had at the very beginning. It's like, if you don't really care about the movement, but you're doing it because it'll look good in a public domain, it are undeniably, you're still better off. So that's sort of what the new normal is. It's like, yo, let's just do things that <laughs> in reality are beneficial to culture and society, but I'm doing it because of not an intrinsic interest in it. It's because I watched my favorite rapper do it. Okay, so there is a quote I, in this Atlantic yeah. article that I totally agree with. And it's from Elon Kapoor, who wrote a book, Celebrity Humanitarianism, The Ideology of Global Charity. And he writes, Celebrity humanitarianism, far from being altruistic, is most often self-serving, helping to promote institutional aggrandizement and the celebrity brand. It also advances consumerism and corporate capitalism and rationalizes the very global inequality it seeks to redress. Because I feel like the onus of doing the work that Drake did is not on Drake. And celebrities shouldn't feel responsible for that. Because in an ideal world, actual legitimate institutions would have figured it out you know, like the government. Yeah. But then on the other hand, because that's not the case, that we don't live in that kind of ideal society, it has fallen to celebrities somehow. Like they feel, I have a platform, I have the money, I want to try to provoke change. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, my any sort of negative sentiment I have towards that might feel like it's coming out, I think is maybe mis, misinterpreted because I think at the end of the day, like, as I think through it more and more is honestly, it's it's not a bad move on his part, even if it is self-serving. I mean, he could have spent that money on the music video. I mean, I don't you know. know. I mean? Is that enough? It's not enough, but it that's that's what I was deferring back to. It's like it's better than nothing right now. Uh, one thing I would have liked, and this is just me painting what would be the most ideal circumstance. There was a more definitive track record of Drake doing these things, not on camera, and maybe in a very like super viral light, not produced. Just like, hey, you know what? Drake showed up to my school and gave us $20,000, right? So you know that there's a level of authenticity there. I'm sure he knows that people are going to upload it, which is fine. But I think there's something about that that seems a little bit more true. And then eventually, if you want to tip into a big music video that surrounds it, that's okay. But whatever. I mean, at the end of the day, like, I think you, your disagreement, you almost are taking like a more Eugene Hardline stance. I feel as though your perspective is what has traditionally been my my perspective. I gotta say, the there are elements of the music video that make me feel uncomfortable. Which ones are those? Uh, like extended shots of people crying after being given cash. It yeah. feels very exploitative to me. 
I don't know. Exploitative. Is that the word? Uh, Exploit. It feels like they're exploiting people. Yes. It, I love it when we end up with words we only read and then we try to pronounce them in real life. Exploitative. Anyway, so you get what I mean. Like it's, it seems like using their emotions in a commercial way. Basically and, trading emotions for cash mm-hmm. in a way. And I also, and I know like, yes, obviously people are thankful to Drake, the person for giving them toys and money. But it also made me uncomfortable the moments when Drake is like, like, definitely pointing the spotlight on himself like I have bought everyone toys you know like it's so much like look at me and this good thing that I'm doing yeah and I don't I I I I guess I had that those cynical feelings yeah actually this is gonna get real deep but also in the Atlantic article do you remember this it mentions I'm not gonna be able to pronounce this Maimonides eight levels of charity yes Okay, which is really interesting. Did you know about this before? No. I didn't, but it's like there are different, there's giving, but this chart, I guess, like this ranking suggests that there are more righteous ways of giving. And the highest level of giving of charity is to afford someone else lifetime self-sufficiency. And then it goes down in this like, if you give anonymously to an anonymous person, et cetera. And the article suggests that, you know, Drake's actually only operating at like the fifth, sixth level of this And rubric. eight is the highest. Yeah. Still 75%. Well, it's, it's funny because, you know, we on this podcast and a lot of other people, like we wind up talking about, you know, net negative, net positive, right? Yes. Like overall, is this, is this good? Overall, is this bad? But, you know, this chart, and we know that there is more complexity and this chart is suggesting even if something is overall good, you can rank how good Yes, it is. Controversial. I'm trying to think on the other hand, like what would be the argument beyond sort of what we addressed? Like I, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm okay with it because I mean, it's better than nothing. That's all like I've said it a few times on this, this segment here, but can it open the doors for other things? Yeah, of course. Will it push maybe Drake to go do other things? Let's put it this way. And this could be just like prophesizing. Video does 500 million views. Next time around, his record label's like, hey, I'll give you $5 million. It's funny because I said earlier that I don't think celebrities should feel responsible for doing social good because ideally the government does that. But like, let's say Drake wants to keep doing social good. Yeah. It wants to make real lasting impact in communities. I think it takes more hard work and more communication than what this music video shows. A musician who I think has done this correctly is Chance the Rapper. Yeah. Who is a really big advocate in Chicago for improving public schools. And he does that in ways that are not, in my opinion, like not splashy. Right. And in ways where he's very genuinely doing the homework and the research and adding money and action to it to hope to see, hope to make change that he agrees with. So, I mean, I guess if I were to say like what what's next for Drake, like I would want to see that like that would increase the authenticity for me, which seems to be the theme here is like. Demanding or not demanding, but expecting authenticity from celebrities i don't know if you can expect that much authenticity from from big celebrities because you're you have to make some sort of concession 
to be at the very top. Yeah. I mean, but that's what we've been talking about, right? With like the Players' Tribune and with yeah. this video. No, but you know, I agree. We cannot expect so much, but because they are already inching towards that, then that's why we would want to expect more from them. Because they're the they're the ones who are writing memoir-like essays and producing music videos like this, which is clearly like a to show them as real people with real feelings, right? So if you're going to do that, then we want it to like not be a charade. We demand more. Do any celebrities listen to this podcast? If you know a celebrity, share this episode with them. <laughs> wanted to talk about why Facebook, Google, Pinterest, and other companies like them have such similar looking logos. This topic is drawn from an article produced by Fast Company, where they went out and asked a bunch of figures in tech and design how they, how they feel and what they think is the reason behind Google, Pinterest, Spotify, et cetera, having similar looking logos. Mm -hmm. There was this viral tweet from Ono Type Co., that had a picture of Google, Airbnb, Spotify, Pinterest logos compared like from when they started to now. And the caption was everybody fall in line, suggesting that they're just all following each other. And the reasons that these figures provide, they're pretty good, right? Like there's, you know, the logo works in mobile, right? So it has a lot to do with where the logo is used and the user interface. The idea that, you know, a lot of these brands, they already are very well known. So they don't need a quirky logo with a lot of character. They can move away from that because you already know them for their service. Mm -hmm. And then also actually tech logos is a category of its own. So there was someone who suggested if you look at any particular industry, such as, you know, whiskey brands, then you're going to see a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. And that just kind of happens. Like you yeah. want you want to be identified as belonging to this category. Yeah. So what was your personal interest in choosing this piece? I think my personal interest is coming from someone who has designed logos myself. And also, and you have talked to people who are looking for new logos, even though you don't do the design yourself. Yeah, people and just hit me up looking for a logo designer. Yeah, or looking for some consulting on, is this good for my brand, right? And just thinking about there are a lot of considerations in play and it doesn't mean that I'm not here to say, oh, a sans serif simple logo is better or like a quirky, you know, crazy looking logo is better. But just that you have to think about, you know, what is your company actually yeah. when thinking about everything that's mentioned, especially in that timeline of logo iterations that was on that tweet, every company goes through it. Like what got you a certain distance in the very beginning that strategy is no longer valid as you hit different milestones. So it's just a natural evolution. It's just unfortunate. I don't even know it's unfortunate, to be honest. It's like given the, the circumstances and resources that you have at the beginning of a company's lifeline, like sometimes you don't even have a validated product. So you don't even know who this is for, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. You don't even know what your main business is going to be. 
Yeah, I know. It's hard actually, because I definitely have been approached by companies and they, and I I have a screener, like ask them certain questions. And sometimes they have really no idea the answer to some questions, like, where do you want to use this logo? And they'll be like, everywhere. And I have to try to explain, well, that doesn't work. Like you have to think about where best this has to work. I can't design something that's, it's very hard, sorry, it's not impossible, but it's very hard to design something that works as well, like on a highway billboard as on a mobile phone. Yeah. You know, it's like you have to know where your audience is actually approaching your brand. So I actually don't really have any bone to pick with the evolution of the logo. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Actually, I think one thing... Did you feel there was a negative sort of slant to this? No, I didn't think there was a negative slant. I think the only... like, hey, you know what? Like, everything's the uh, same. Well, I think the tweet is kind of tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, the tweet itself is a little bit negative, but everyone who Fast Company talked to didn't really see it that way. Like, they were like, you know, there are really good reasons why this has happened. And I think the clarity needed is... Not everyone should just go out and make a logo that looks like Google, Spotify, Pinterest. And it's interesting because I think that does happen. Like you look at, or people who are starting companies might just look at what are the biggest brands out there? You know, let's look like them. Sometimes that doesn't really provide you enough point of differentiation. Yeah. I was trying to think about and this is a good question for you. If you can think of really quirky logos with a lot of character. I'm trying to think like ones that are still around. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying to think because what is my, I'm, I'm arguably less in the consumer space as I was before where I was subjected to more logos. There's one that does stick out to me. It's from a a brand called, actually I have two, two, okay. two examples and they're both from the world of streetwear, which I think lends itself well. Like first one is the hundreds. Mm, Adam yeah. Bomb. You know, that is very sort of like recognizable. Yeah, it's really good. Adam Bomb. And this brand called Deadline, which I don't think is around anymore, but basically their logo um, was in the shape of, what do you call it when someone's murdered and they draw a line around? Oh, I know what you mean. And you know I don't what I, know what it's called. But it was like, like basically that. chalk that, outline. Yes, body outline. Oh, that's good. So those are things that like are quite memorable. In the grand scheme of things. Yeah, because I was doing that exercise myself, like thinking about what are some memorable logos and they're definitely all not in the tech space. Like they're in fashion, like you said, or retail and F&B, which for good reason, because F&B is usually a storefront, like a physical restaurant. And then one that I really liked that I thought of was the Hong Kong tram. Don't even know what that logo looks like. You've never seen... I've seen it, but I couldn't tell you what it looks like. They have... It doesn't say Hong Kong tram, but like the Hong, the Hong Kong tram... Sorry, for people who are not Hong Kong based, we have a tram line that runs from like the western to the eastern side of Hong Kong. Island, and, yeah. Yeah, of Hong Kong Island. And they have this logo that's the front of the tram, but it looks like it's smiling. And then they incorporate that into like all of their advertising. Yeah. And I think it's really good. Yeah. And it would never work on a mobile device, but they don't need it to. Yeah. Well, that's another thing too, is like, you know, when you look at footwear companies too, I always revert back to this, like traditionally, most brands that are able to properly, properly is a strong word, right? But most brands that are able to incorporate more seamlessly their logo are on the longitudinal plane. 
like a Puma, Nike, even Adidas to a degree because it's wider than it is, you know, one by one. Under Armour, I think, is one that struggles a lot because Under Armour basically is a one by one and you just slap it on the shoe. You can't really incorporate it. So those are differences because the one by one itself might look good as a logo on your chest as a shirt, but it doesn't translate to footwear. Yeah. And likewise, like Adidas has so many logos. It's like originals. Originals looks decent on clothes, but you don't really see Adidas's Trefoil logo on a shoe, for example. One thing that wasn't mentioned in the Fast Company article is that even though the word mark might be similar for all of these companies, I think they all have distinctive icons that they use, which is a different element of your identity linked to the logo, linked to that word mark. And if you have that in conjunction with the word mark, then it becomes very powerful. Yeah. Just exactly like you're saying, like the trefoil, the swoosh, like it's okay if the word Adidas is essentially like lowercase Helvetica, tightly spaced, when you have those other, like the three stripes element. I wonder what it means, this whole topic means for something like startup brand who basically skips the discovery process and just runs straight into something that is a little bit more refined. I think you could say that about Macon. It's like Macon has a very small detail orientation around it. Mm -hmm. Like I don't think that it looks, it doesn't scream out at you, but it's also Mm -hmm. reflective of the positioning. I don't want to explain too much because I feel like I'm going to make myself look stupid with a lack of like typography knowledge. I think startup brands do struggle now because they have so much to look at. And it like you you mentioned in your write-up about this article, Daris and Warby Parker, Everlane, et cetera, they go straight to the, I don't know what to call it, the plane. You know, nothing really distinctive. You can exchange, and, and I'm not talking about the company, but just like the word mark and the logo. And I think it's a bit of a loss. I think with Macon, even though our word mark is simple, we have other visual elements of our branding that's distinctive. Yeah. At least I hope so. That, that's yeah. that's how I think. Alex it comes really across. hates using the K. I love I love that little. You mean icon. the because we've we've used it as like he hates it so much that we don't use it anywhere. You guys should think about making something else. Survey. A survey of no. that. No. Should we say why he hates it? I don't know why he hates it. I, you don't know. I'm I pretty, I mean, he's not here to defend himself. But I'm pretty sure he hates it because it looks like the download symbol. Yeah. What's wrong with that? Downloading knowledge. Come on. I don't think he's. Is it because it. It, it, it gives undue shine on me because it's K? But it's rotated. I know. So it looks like an M. Okay. Since I've already opened this, I, I always love to tell the story when I can about Macon and the name. So Macon the name, as you know, is a made up word. It's a combination of Alex and I's last names, right? And I always, I, I'm always so quick to tell this story because I don't want anyone to ever think that Macon is like Alex and I, and we needed this project about us. It was more that one, the domain was available. Two, it sounded like making things. Three, it was symmetrical. And I think that's, I think that's about it actually. Those are, in my opinion, pretty strong reasons. I think they're strong reasons. I I am only laughing to myself over here because I've heard this story a multi- multiplicity of times. Yeah. Now, now but, but for listeners, the podcast world knows. Yes. 
It's not about us. The record is clear. So I guess we're winding things down. I'm going to be traveling a lot over the next four weeks or so. I'm going to hit Tokyo, London, potentially Seoul, back to Seoul, Sao Paulo, and New York. So if anyone's around, for the let Eugene me know. World Tour. Yes. I really wanted to put together like a making session, but I don't think I have enough time. These just came up too fast. Yeah. Maybe New York, though. That's about four weeks away. Well, anyway, if you are in any of those places, you can reach out or we will try to organize something somewhere. And even just good to meet people and yeah. just talk to them and yeah. just connect. And for this podcast, that means either the audio quality might be a bit worse. No, it'll be the same. You're bringing the share? Not this one. I mean, this. I don't think it changes that much. Okay. Anyway, regardless, um, we won't be in the same room and possibly have a couple of guests in, which should be fun. New energy. Okay. Good place to end things for the day. If you are interested in finding out more about Macon and our membership opportunities, which include a weekly briefing, a Slack community, exclusive content, you can check us out at macon.com, M-A-E-K-A-N. And if you really like this podcast, feel free to recommend it to a friend. That'd be highly appreciated. Give us a rating on iTunes. Yeah, just tell a friend. <laughs> See, I tried, I really tried to commit that from memory. Yeah. Just only got about 85% there. No, it was there. No, it wasn't. You there. got it. Anyways, I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.